Well, good morning, church. Would you open your copy of God's Word to James chapter 5? If you're a guest with us, welcome. Uh, we, we get an opportunity, once again, what we do around here is that we have an opportunity to go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we just, whatever God addresses, we address. Whatever God says, we just, we, we face it head on, right? We don't avoid, we don't skip around. So the majority of our time, we're, we're going through a book of the Bible, and we are about to land the plane. Everybody say, land the plane. We're so close. We're so close to landing the plane on the book of James in our series, Faith Works. Uh, I, think we, I think we can do it next week. I don't know what you're doing next week, but uh, I don't know if you, you got any plans. I got plans for you. You should be here as we finish up, wrap up the book of James, okay? And so today, we're going to be looking at James 5, 1 through 12. And in these verses, we're, we're going to be looking at this topic of going deeper, being deep-rooted in our faith. Does everybody have an outline? Everybody have an outline? Have a copy of God's Word there. And we just want to walk through this area of what do we think about day in and day out, uh, about finances, about our wealth, about the things that we own, about being, here's a big word, about being stewards, right? Stewardship of I have somebody else's stuff. What am I doing with it? And guess what? Whether we think it on a daily basis, everything we have is borrowed. God has given us everything we have. It doesn't belong to us. And, that, and that's why every area of life, not just, it's not just about money. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about money. It's not just about money. It's about all of life. It's about all that I have that I would go deeper in my faith, that roots would go down, that I would know what God's word says, that I would be a doer of it. And we're gonna hear from the half-brother of Jesus, James, Pastor James, in Jerusalem, and we've been seeing under persecution, and as they run for their lives and spread everywhere, this is Pastor James' last word to his church. As you go, remember these things. Remember these, are, these aren't just secondary issues. This is the main thing, that if you claim you have faith, work it out, live it out loud. We live in a culture where, well, religion is private, right? Politics, private. Religion, private. We don't talk about politics and religion. Well, James says, all you should be talking about is what God has said about every area of your life and what he says about everything about life and that we should be living out loud. Faith lived out loud, undeniable. And so we got a few questions that we're going to dive into as we consider this. We need a theology of handling money in the last days. We need a theology of suffering and how we handle when things don't go our way. We need a, a theology. We need to know what God's Word says about how to suffer well when, when we're let down and when we don't get what we want. How do we respond? We need a good theology of that. We need a theology of what's going on inside my heart because it, it seems to be a mystery, but God unfolds and says, I created you. I know what's broke and I know how to fix it. We need a solid theology of these topics. And so we're talking rubber meets the road. Every single day, we're living it. We're living it out. And James helps us so much throughout this series. So James is coming out of the gate pretty strong. He's got some pretty bold words to say to a certain group of, of people. And again, he's facing his own issues in his day probably not all that uncommon from what we experience today. Track with me, verses 1 through 6. 
James chapter 5, and we're, we're reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Come now, you rich, those that are, those that are wealthy, come. Let, let's reason together. Let's talk, he's saying. Let, let's sit around and discuss this. And here's his, here's his call of action. Weep, howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Everybody say, ouch. Track with his appeal, okay? He's not scolding, yelling. He's wanting to reason together. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Verse three, your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you, a testimony against you, how you lived and will eat your flesh like fire. Ooh, you have laid up treasure in the last days. And he's saying, you've laid up treasure in the wrong place, in the wrong things in the last days. Verse four, behold, check, check this out. You gotta hear this, he's saying. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Strike two. And the cries of the harvesters, they, they've reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, literally the Lord of angel armies, the warrior Lord. He sees it. He hears it. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. And what does the righteous person do in response? What does it say? He does not resist you. Okay, can we just pause for, for a second? Everything that we have is for a reason. By nature, we don't know what that reason is. We need to be taught. We naturally use what we have in ways that are self-indulgent. It's just, we all do that. We all do that. Somebody lift up your voice and say, we all do that. We, we all do that. I just, we have a default mode, right? I, I don't know about you, but when, when you don't have your alignment in your car straight, right? You let go of the wheel, what happens? You, you, you're in the ditch, right? All of us, every single one of us, we're just, we are not aligned by birth. We are not aligned by what the world teaches us. We go this way. We, instead of loving people and using things, we use people and we love things, right? We all do that. That's what we do. But God has a word for us about generosity and warning to those that live for themselves, accumulating, thinking, this is my only life. This is my only chance, my best life now. That's what I'm living for. We all do that. We all do that. Unless we get a change of perspective. I, I, I was going to write a book for you, but instead, if you, you just want to put up some of those quotes, just starting with that, that, that first quote. Keep going, keep going. I, I was looking up all of the, all, all the quotes that I had collected over the years about generosity, and I'm like, I can't bypass this. It's, it's just too good. Everybody say it's too good. It's too good. It's too good, all right? So if you want to request this or uh, you can listen to the podcast later and you can be taking notes, but we're, I just want to fire through these to get our, our minds right. Randy Alcorn, a, a former pastor and, and just passionate author, Christ-centered, he, he says this, the more you give, the more comes back to you because God is the greatest giver in the universe and he won't let you outgive him. Go ahead and try. See what happens. That's pretty good, right? And he doesn't stop there. He says, God doesn't look at just what we give. He also looks at what we keep. Everybody say, ouch. Yeah, Randy, Randy, come on. God prospers 
me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of, of giving. I think Randy's onto something, right? Francis Chan, some of you may know, um, was a, a church planner pastor in, in California. Now he's hanging out in China and traveling the world. Uh, he's on our Right Now Media. You can get Right Now Media for free, right? Tens of thousands of series and uh, between kids and, and adult Bible studies and Francis Chan's goods are on there. He says this, downsizing so that others might upgrade is biblical, beautiful, and rare. C.S. Lewis, uh, the author of Chronicles of Narnia, uh, great British uh, author and professor, he says, the only thing we can keep are the things we freely give to God. That's, that's powerful. He also said this, I, I do not believe I can settle how much I ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give far more than I'm comfortable. Wow, wow. Henry Drummond said this, the most obvious lesson in Christ's teaching is that there is no happiness in having or getting anything, but only in giving. And Tim Keller, uh, pastor, church planner in, in New York City, uh, leader of the, the Redeemer uh, Network, a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours, but God's. And Tim Keller's so helpful in, in this area. He also said, if you have been assigned the goods of this world by God and you don't share them with others, it isn't just stinginess, it's injustice. Wow. Everybody say wow. Adrian Rogers, many of you know, uh, former uh, Southern Baptist pastor, he, he said, it's what you sow in the field that multiplies, not what you keep in the barn. Okay? Anybody resonate with that, that imagery? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, greatest, greatest preacher of the 20th century uh, in England. God has a way of giving by the cartloads to those who give away by shovelfuls. Like that imagery, uh, Adrian. I don't know. I don't know how you how you got in there twice, but we can we can keep going. We, we don't. We only need to hear you once. All right. All right. So Robert Robert Murray McShane. Some of you have done the Robert Murray McShane uh, reading program. He's got a Bible reading program where you read uh, through I think four different areas of of the Bible every single day. Uh, so powerful. He says there are many hearing me who now know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. I wish he was clear. What is he trying to say? To, to give largely and liberally. Oh, go back. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires what? A new heart. Because it's not natural. Nobody does this. Nobody does this, right? And then are, are, are we landing the plane? I think we got uh, a couple more. Jim Elliott, uh, in, the, in the 50s, they headed to South America, a uh, group of, of five missionaries, and they were all slaughtered on the beach by the uh, Oika Indians. And as martyrs uh, in their early 20s, leaving college and all going down to give their life away, he wrote this in his journal before he was martyred for the name of Christ. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow. And, and he did it, right? And Jonathan, go forth. Seek to give much, expect nothing, all right? There's a sweet ending for us, right? So if you're taking notes, number one, let's just address what James has to say here, and he's pretty fired up about thinking about stuff, things, possessions, God's way, and he's addressing the church, and he says this. He's really asking the question, how's your generosity? Because those that are not generous, these are the sharp words. God sees, God knows, and God is going to address 
by judgment the things that we did with what we have. So how's your generosity this morning? I mean, just, just thinking about past weeks, past months, past years, just, just ask the question, how am I doing in this area of generosity? Can we be clear? We're not talking about the bottom line of what your donations are to the church. We're talking about lifestyle, all of life, mindset, attitude of generosity. How is your generosity? If we're generous in the little things, we'll learn to be generous in much. Do you believe that? Generosity inoculates us against materialism. I mean, either we're going to be generous or we're going to be materialistic, but we, we're not going to be both. And God's new way is to turn away from the old, that godly generosity keeps our perspective about material possessions as we sprint across the finish line and that we don't quit and we don't stop and we don't get discouraged. And we also are sobered by the reality God sees. He sees. He sees in private. He knows motives and that we would live in such a way. I, I, I want to surrender all that I am, all that I have to all that he is every single day. How are we doing in that pursuit of generosity? He says, you have lived, verse 5, you want to look back there, he, he says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Obviously, he's talking to, to those that living selfishly as a lifestyle, fattening their hearts for the day of slaughter, imagery of there's going to be judgment. And I think his biggest burden, he says, you murder the righteous person. In other words, those that are trying to do right, those that are trying to sacrifice and give, those that are trying to serve, those that are trying to live humbly, he says there are those in the world, right? You think in 2,000 years ago, can you believe that there were people that took advantage of those that didn't have much and those that were generous and sacrificial that they could freely take, 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 and use and abuse? Man, I am so happy that in our day we don't struggle with that anymore. Like there are, there, there are no controlling tyrants. There are no money hungry, abusive leaders, right? I mean, like, man, I'm glad they dealt with that 2,000 years ago, and then we are a better generation. We're a better culture because we don't struggle at all with that, looking down on people and using people and milking people for all that they're worth. Yeah, not our struggle. Everybody say that's a lie. Yeah, big time. This is a timeless truth, and God says, if you are righteous, if you're right in God's eyes, if you're following him, you're not concerned about the way that you're treated you're not obsessed about what you're getting out of it you look at those that are godless that are ungodly and you say i expect ungodly people to do ungodly things and sometimes i'm the one that kind of receives kind of the butt end of some of that right that i'm taken advantage of that i'm used and abused and here's what he says the godly what do they do they don't resist they're not fighting for their own righteousness. They're not arguing and debating. They're different. They're different. When my heart is captured by the gospel, here's what the good news does. I just, I just jotted down a few things as I was thinking about how, how am I different as God is changing, changing me. I'm no longer desiring to accumulate for myself, but now to use all that I have for the glory of God and the good of others. I'm no longer driven to get, but now I'm motivated to give. I reject the world's preoccupation with possessions and, and status and now generously live open-handed, open-handed. I no longer live for satisfaction in things. Always lets me down. I have found satisfaction in Jesus. Is that you? And we're not saying perfectly, but are you seeing progress? Are you seeing God's peeling back 
the, the grasp over time. You've been walking with the Lord maybe for some time, maybe for some of us. We just We don't have a relationship with God, so all we know is tight fists looking out for number one. But for some of us that have known the Lord, have been walking with him, God takes us through seasons where either we freely open our hands. Have you experienced that? Where heart's changing and you're like, why, why do I want this so bad? Why do I wrap my identity around getting and, and achieving? And for others of us, we've gone through seasons where God opens, pries our hands. And it's painful, isn't it? I've gone through that where he pries our fingers off of it. And then once we're free, then we go, why was I holding on so tightly this whole time? Why, why did I feel like I had to have that? I, I had to arrive, achieve, that I'll be happy when, and that list is getting shorter and shorter. And God's, God's wanting to get us to the place of, I'll be happy when I have just Jesus, and I already do. That, that's freedom. Everybody say that's freedom. That, that's freedom. That, that's freedom. And he is addressing those that live not just in a stingy way, but in a way of lording over, ruling over, dominating, using people. And for some of us, we could say, I used to be like that. For others, if you're here this morning, you're like, I, that's kind of where I'm still at, that God has a word for us as we continue on. Godly generosity is the evidence that God has your heart. Here's the next question. Number two, everybody say number two. Here we go, here we go. How's your heart? Verses 7 and 8, how's your heart? Verse 7, be patient. Somebody say be patient. Be patient until when? Be patient for a little while. Is that what it says? Be, be, be patient if you have to, if you must. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Has Jesus come back yet? Okay, so the call is still what? Be patient. Be patient. All right, we're still, we're still there. He, he gives us an image. All right, James, help, help us out. Give, give, us, give us an illustration. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being, there it is again, everybody say patient, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Then he's looking to the church and he says, you also, everybody say it, be patient, be patient. I wish it was clear what message he was trying to get across in these few, I, it's just, it's really confusing. I'm, I'm not, what are you trying to say, James? Establish your hearts, here it is. Establish your hearts, verse eight, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. Well, here's, here's two things. Number one, the idea of heart throughout Scripture over 900 times, 900 times throughout Scripture. Everybody say that's a big deal. When something is listed 900 times over, over, and over, and over, do you think that God's like saying, this is kind of a major thing. This is kind of a big deal. He mentions the heart. It's, a, it's the center of desire. It's a center of emotions is the center of will it's the whole thing right it's all of our passions it's all of our dreams it's everything that drives us and motivates us it's it's everything that we really are at at the heart and he says this establish your hearts so not just is the heart a main focus of our whole life understanding my own heart but here he says what he says establish i don't know if you have a different translation some of them might say uh, to, to fix or to, uh, to tether to. He's saying, your heart wanders all over the place. Have you, have you noticed that? Like any given day? I mean, I don't know about you, but certain days are like, I have been like 15 different people today, right? Just depending on who I talk to, what happened, what phone call, what text. Like, 
Why am I on an emotional roller coaster? It's because that's my, my heart. If my heart is not established, that's what he's saying. If it's not established, he's saying if, if it's not fixed, if, if it's not locked into a target, where does my heart go? Are we going here? Okay, we're going here. Are we going here? Okay, we're going over here. Am I, am I feeling high right now? I'm feeling low right now? Everywhere if, everybody say if, if it's not established, it's out of control. But he says this. He says, fix, establish that heart. And this is where it's powerful. Because every time a problem comes in, every time there's bad news, we get established. We get fixed on the situation. So, I mean, picture with me, okay? So, if, if you think the call of establishment, right, is different from what I already do, this is where I already go. My gaze, right? Think of like the eyes of your heart. I get locked on whatever the problem is, whatever the scenario is, whatever the news was, whatever they said about me, whatever comment was made, whatever let down, whatever, whatever, whatever. Everybody stare at your shoes right now, okay? Everybody stare down. I'm not going to do anything tricky, all right? Don't worry. I'm obsessed with the problem that is right in front of me. I am fixing my gaze. I'm locked in. What can I not see if I'm staring at my feet? Anything out here, okay? I'm looking down. What, is it, what does he say? What does he say? Here's the good news. Here's the hope for our hearts. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. How am I supposed to do that? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Where are my eyes supposed to be? Where is my heart supposed to be locked in? Fixed on the problem? Everybody say no. Nope, nope, nope. What happens? Watch, 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 watch. I'm fixing on something that is outside of my problems, outside of all the issues. I'm fixing my heart and my gaze on a God who's coming back and he's going to make all this junk, all the problems, all the drama, it's gone. Everybody that has ever hurt me, all of the baggage from my past, all of my present situation, all of the things that are coming up, everything I'm obsessed with and I can't sleep at night and I'm on medication for, and he says what? Get your heart established on the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. Obsess over that. Get your mind racing about the future coming Jesus. It changes everything. It changes everything because it puts everything here in perspective. I know the end game. I know how it, how it finishes, right? I know the story, and he's coming back. And I don't know about you, but that's really, really good news. In my moment of crisis, in the moment of bad news, of self-obsession, self-focus, self centered, fix heart Jesus, right? That's good news. Everybody say that's good news. It's good news if we do it. Not, not hear about it, not think about it, not, I, I know somebody like that, that no matter how bad it gets, that they're always like thinking about what God's word has to say about the issue. And I know people like that. Your people need to know you like that. Your neighbor needs a neighbor who fixes their gaze on Jesus because the only way I can love my neighbor is if I'm not in the stew of life and I'm not obsessing with anxiety and despair and depression over my past and my present and my potential future. They need somebody free. They need somebody to look to as different. They need somebody that's patient. Do you know a lot of people that are patient? Our culture is becoming less. We used to be an agricultural nation Primarily, we were accustomed to waiting, waiting, doing our part, waiting, trusting. Not anymore. 
We are so impatient. So impatient how? We are so impatient that we can't even go to the grocery store. We need the grocery store to come to us, right? We are so impatient that we can't stand commercials anymore so that we have to binge watch with zero commercials. And we get to do that for hours my way, right? We love being so impatient that we have workarounds of drive-throughs to microwaves, right? We are so, hear, hear this, we are so impatient that we can't even stand 30 seconds standing at the microwave. We are, we're impatient nukers, right? Like 30 seconds, not fast enough. We are sick, right? We are a sick, sick people, right? We have a problem. We have a problem, but we, we have an answer. We have an answer that we think differently, that we look in a different place, that we set our hearts where others are not setting their hearts that we are locked in to the one that we know has all the answers to our problems and that we respond differently, differently. We are, we're different. How's, how's your heart? How's your heart? The anxious and heavy heart, I wrote this down, the anxious and heavy heart is the one that sees the future with no hope and takes matters into their own hands. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's somebody close to you. The anxious and heavy heart is the one that sees the future with no hope and takes matters into their own hands. And the solution is not religion. Just, just get some Jesus and get chipper. Just get chipper. Get, get happy. Put on your Sunday smile. That doesn't help me on Tuesday night. That doesn't help me on Friday morning. I need help all week long. I need a God that is active in my life. Not one hour a week. He's active every moment. And I'm looking to him. I'm not, he's not an afterthought and he's showing me something. He's showing me how to be patient. How to be patient. Do you know what's happened in the past, past year and a half? Something has been different. Something's been different in, in me. In the past, I have a list of, these, these are things that, that I, I want to do, I want to get, I want to experience. These are things that I'm constantly thinking about, like I could just you know Amazon it for half price and two-day shipping and have it here. Something happened over the past year and a half and I'm like, God, I want to see you active every day. And I've just been praying, I want to wait on you. I want to watch you work. I'm going to pray. And even if it takes months and months and months and years and years and years, I want to come back to these prayer requests so that I can check them off and say, you did it, not me. How many times do we jump out ahead, we answer our own longings our hearts are about fixing our own problems and god is calling us to a slow waiting be patient be patient turn to your neighbor and say be patient let him know be patient be patient be patient and for some of us it's not it's not possible just to willpower this this is supernatural god if you don't make me somebody different i'm not changing if you don't get a hold of my heart and some of that is stepping way back and saying I want to make a list of things that are heavy on my heart and I want to watch you answer them. I don't want to take things into my own hands. I want to live free, surrendering to you. Do you know what's happening? Like my list from a year ago is like full. The, the, th the interactions that I've had, many of you, the interactions that I've had of, hey, do you need this? Hey, do you want this? Hey, I have this. Hey, I was thinking about you. And I'm like, check, because I'm praying for God to supply. I'm being 
patient waiting on his timing. I'm not trying to white-knuckle it through life and say, well, yeah, God's supplying, God's supplying. When's the last time you've watched over a period of time where you're like, I'm hands off. I'm going to let God do this. I'm going to let God deal with the relationship. I'm going to let God deal with the the need that's there. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to go into control mode. It's you. And sometimes it's like, well, instead of three days, that would have taken me. I have to wait three months. And then you get to worship your tail off as you go, my God's alive. He's real. He's active. He's wanting to provide in all these ways, relationally, financially, but I have zero patience to wait on his timing. Well, none of us can say that we are following the king if the king is not on his throne and we're the ones, right, leading the way, making our life happen. This is such a a mega theme of he's coming, he's coming. He's coming to make all wrongs right. He's coming to fulfill our, our bucket list in the end, all of the desires that we have, everything that was left undone in this world. He says, lock your eyes for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus, 300 times. Another mega theme. Ever say that's a mega theme? Mega, mega theme. Did you know that Jesus returning is mentioned every 13 verses in the New Testament? Not literally. On average, every 13 verses, if you were to categorize how many times the second coming is mentioned, it would be equivalent of every 13 verses. Do you think that's a big deal? Do you think it's a big deal that our hearts are right here and now and we're anticipating the coming of our returning king? But how wrong do we get both of those? I have more time. I'll do it myself. God will understand why my heart is in such knots and in such a mess. Heart right, eyes fixed, he's coming back. That's different. Everybody say that's different. That's different than how everybody is living. This is so different. Here we go. Number three. Number three. How are your relationships? Verse nine. Do not grumble against one another. Brothers, brothers, sisters, Christians, church, church. He says, don't grumble against one another. Uh, do you, you know what the Greek word is there? Gungusamasin. Gungusamasin, gungusamasin, gunga. You get it? You get it? Hey, anybody know what that's called? Help me out. Onomatopoeia. It's an onomatopoeia. Remember like fifth grade English? All right. The word sounds like what it is because it's a created word, right? It sounds like gungusamasin, gungusamasin. Is that you? Was that your last week? Was that your last month? Has it, has it been your whole life? It's just the way I am. It's just the way I am. It's the way my parents were. It's the way my grandparents were. That's not the way Christians are. We, we don't grumble. Because when we do, we go, I'm doing it. And I'm hurting myself. And I'm hurting my relationships. I'm rejecting my God. I'm embracing my own entitlement to say what I want, to vent when I want. And he says, you better be careful Because when you are patient and you are waiting, you are going to be prone to get irritated and frustrated. And Come on. Come on, God. Come on. I'm I'm waiting. And if it wasn't for them and if it wasn't for her and if it wasn't for him, like I would be down the road. I would be living my best life now if it wasn't for the circumstances and the people. And murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. And God's God's calling us. That's not the way. That's not the way. Because you forgot I'm in charge. And when you grumble about circumstances, who are you grumbling against? We, and we don't see it. We don't think about it. 
No, I'm just complaining about traffic. It's just this traffic. It's this traffic. Well, who's the one that created the traffic jam? Who's the one that's organizing all these people to drive on the roads that your taxpaying dollars have paid for and that nobody else should ever use, right? Our God is in control, and it's not by happenstance that all these things seem like they're in the way and that these people are so irritating and letting you down. He says, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to grumble and murmur and complain. This, this is tough. This is tough. Why does he call us not to grumble? Did you read the rest of the verse? Brothers, sisters, I don't want you to be judged. And he says again, behold, you need to hear this. Look at this. The judge, he's standing at the door. Who's the judge? Jesus is coming back as judge. Do we realize that? He's coming back and he's going to judge all. Is he going to judge Christians? Yes. He's going to judge all people. The great white throne judgment is separation of weeds and wheat. It's sheep and goats. There is a second judgment called the Bema Seat Judgment, and it's only for Christians. Christians are going to be judged based on what did you do as a steward with what you were given? Money? Time? Relationships? Did you do it in the power of God? Did you do it with the guidance of God's word directing you? Did you do it with motives? Back to heart. Everybody say heart. He knows the heart. Did you do it with right motives? There's going, to be, there's going to be a judgment. And he says, church, church, don't grumble against each other. Why? There's a judgment coming. And you will not be judged heaven or hell, but there's a judgment coming for you as a follower of Jesus. You're going to give an account before King Jesus, the one you claimed you, you followed. And he's heartbroken because he's like, judgment's coming. Do you see it? Do you feel the weight of it? Watch your words because the judge is at the door, right? He's, he's here. And every idle word and every comment and every subtle, how are your relationships going? How are your relationships going? Because here we go. Suffering people become selfish people. Suffering people become selfish people. Always wounded, never participating. Always comparing, never grateful. Always hurting, never healing. Always waiting, but never going. Always taking, never giving. Always remembering, but never dreaming. This is C.S. Lewis's words from Narnia. Always winter, never Christmas. Suffering people become selfish people. When you go through hardship, you are the most vulnerable of expectations of others that skyrocket and expectations of yourself to follow Jesus and suffer well plummet, right? To put it a different way, we could say hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. And in the church, we have hurts. For some of us, we walk in week after week and we are hurting. And there are things we're hurting about that people don't know. There are things that we're hurting and some people know. And the reality is, James is saying, God knows it all. 
He knows the hurts. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you've been. You're not alone. But the problem is you're not off the hook that when you go through a season of trauma, a season of pain, a season of loss, you don't get a freebie to start living for you. You have a call to suffer well, to come under God's authority, to be patient and wait on God's timing. You have permission to grieve and invite community in. You have permission to speak about the things that hurt and be listened to carefully. And we don't do that alone. We do that together. But do you know anybody in this room that is going to be a a perfect helper in your time of hurt? Do we have any mind readers in the room that know where every hurt is? We don't. But we know for a fact hurts that do not heal turn into wounds that wound others. And where we feel like we're the victim, we become the victimizer. And he says, I'm coming soon. And I'm, Jesus says, I'm coming to heal those hurts that no human being can, no, no human can help you fully, completely. There's no perfect surgeon that can heal your broken heart, that can make the bad good again, except for one. The man, Jesus Christ, the God-man. And we remember this. He's coming soon. He's going to make all wrongs right. He is going to heal all the wounds. And in the meantime, what is he saying? Watch your mouth, which starts by, watch your heart, which is cultivated by, where are you looking and locked into and obsessing over and replaying? And he's giving us words of help here. Because God's not done. God's not done. People may come and go. Helpers may come and go. Advice givers and counselors may help a little bit or fail completely, but God is not done. God is not done. God's not done with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's not done? And we forget that. We forget. We forget that God's not done. Everybody say, God's not done. He's not done. He's not done. It wasn't for nothing. Hurt and suffering and removal of things or people, it's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. But Jesus is the only hope. He's the only one that can truly help. The remedy The remedy here is keep persevering, keep going, keep pressing in. Some of us experience relational migraines where we just can't handle it. We can't take it. And in those moments, God is saying press in because God's people are outlets for God's healing not completely but in part nobody's healing all alone we're healing we're moving forward we're getting perspective we're being patient we're walking with him when we do it together everybody say we do it together we do it together when we do it together but only when i'm deep rooted but if i'm not deep rooted in my faith if i'm not deep rooted in him i uproot others when i'm not deep rooted i uproot others. Verse 9, don't grumble. The judge is coming and he's saying, be patient and wait. And God is good and his timing is perfect. And here's the last point. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Number four, how's your perseverance? How's your perseverance? Because all of this has to do with why did they have, why did they mistreat, why am I in this situation? And now I am having life not go my way, and there's letdowns and disappointments, there's heartaches, and there's bad news. And he, 
he's going to help us ask a question about perseverance. He says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, behold, check this out. you got to listen. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Does Does that still ring true today? Those that we watch go through years and years and decades and decades of hard stuff and we're like, man, like I want to honor them. I want to give them credit. I want to look up to them. He says, isn't that true? Isn't that true that those that are examples, they're blessed if they remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Just a little insight. It's not Job, just in case there's any confusion, okay? Job is a guy. Job's a thing you do, right? They're not the same. Big J, not little J. Big J, Job. No, Job, Job, Job. Job, you've watched his life. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And, and let's just, let's take these one after another. The, what's the first example he shows? He says, if you're going to persevere, here's two places to look. Old Testament, looking at the OT, we're looking at prophets. You, you realize that there was a number of prophets all through the Old Testament, and how, how was their life going? They were obeying God, they were doing the right thing. Did all of them kind of live a, a pretty awesome life? Were they living posh? Uh, not so much, not so much. Here, here's what Hebrews has to tell us. We, we studied Hebrews 11 in January. If we look way back, some prophets were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, right? Not weed, big rocks. They were sawn in two, cut in half. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted. They were mistreated. And here's what it says about them. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in the deserts, in the mountains, in dens, and in caves. These are the prophets that that James says, go ahead and do a little review of the Old Testament prophets. They were the ones doing what's right. And they were willing to what? Endure, endure keep on going, even if it's hard, even if they lost everything. Consider them heroes, even though in their day they were viewed as villains. Do you feel that as the church? Like the church is the bad guy now? We're trying to do what's right and we're being called judgmental, hateful, bigots. Keep going. Keep going. Keep speaking up for the truth. Standing firm in the unchanging truth, no matter how we're treated. What's example number two? Job. Job. So just this past week, as I was preparing uh, with our kids, we're, we're going through our, our kids' Bible, uh, the, the biggest storybook Bible, and it's just so awesome. And guess what happened? A couple days ago, we flipped to Job. And I'm like, ah! like, I'm, like I'm, I'm going to go, touch on Job right here. I'm in the message. It's coming up on Sunday. And all of a sudden, it's here in this awesome kids' Bible, right? And so I say, kids, have you heard of Job? Have you heard of Job? And they're like, mm-mm. And I'm like, like failure of a father. Really, really, kids? You don't, pastor's kids. Come on, come on. You don't know Job. So immediately to be able to, like, okay, check this out, check this out. Like Satan's watching God treat Job like like he's a king and he's the wealthiest. He's the most influential man in the whole world at the time. He had everything. He had 10 kids. He's got hundreds of servants. He's got thousands of livestock. He's got a mansion. And Satan says, yeah, the only reason that he's serving you is because you're like protecting him and and you're, you're, you're spoiling the guy. The only reason that he loves you is not because you're a good giver. It's because of your gifts. Go ahead, take him away. And within moments, Job hears what? 
hears cries, he hears screams. Suddenly, all 10 kids dead because God said, Satan, go ahead. Go ahead. Prove it. Like, go prove your point. Because God was going to sustain Job through the loss of all of his kids, through his, his home being destroyed, his servants all being slaughtered, all of his livestock being stolen, and his wife that remained not a supporter, not a helper, curse God and die were the loving kind words of his wife to suffering Job, who is sitting in his own boils, fully covered, shards, he's slicing himself open to get relief and pusses pouring out of every inch of his body that was covered in hurtful, itching boils, right? And if that wasn't enough, then he got helpers coming along saying like, why'd you sin? God's punishing you. He's like, I don't think so. I don't think you have the right perspective. So if you think you have bad friends, no, no, no. You just read Job, read Job, okay, read Job. All right, thanks for the help, but no thanks. And what happens? The grumbling starts, the murmuring, I, I wish I was never born, and how could I be living this life? And God, kind of where are you? And right before he fell apart, that God intervenes, never answers the question, never provides him with clarity, but he takes all of the brokenness and brings healing everything that was taken 10 times more. He brings back kids. He brings back better and more servants and home and livestock. Like he's better off than he was before because of what? James says, if you think endurance, persevering, being patient and not giving up, you think it's a small thing? It's the whole thing, right? Keep going. Keep going. Look at Job. Look at Job. I love this. And just in closing, as the worship team comes, I want to read, I want to read from uh, John Piper, uh, former pastor and uh, director of Desiring God. If you haven't been Desiring God app or Desiring God online, look up Desiring God. So helped. And I hope we can circulate this, but I would love for us as a church to be able to listen to John Piper's series on the miseries of Job and the glory of God. It is the most powerful series that I, he wrote a book of a summary from a perspective of Job with his granddaughter on his knee recalling the stories of what happened to him. And Job, now grandpa, expressing all of his learned wisdom from persevering, not quitting, and all that God did. Here's what he said. Behold the mercy of our King who takes from death its bitter sting and by His blood, often ours, brings triumph out of hostile powers and paints with crimson earth and soul until the bloody work is whole. What we have lost, what we have lost, God will restore. That and himself forevermore. When he's finished with his art, the quiet worship of our heart, when God creates a humble hush and he makes Leviathan his brush, it won't be long before the rod becomes the tender kiss of God. Light one candle and count the cost and ponder everything we've lost and let us bow before the throne of God who gives and takes his own and promises whatever toll he takes to satisfy our soul.
Come learn the lessons of the rod, the treasure that we have in God. He is not poor nor much enticed who loses everything but Christ.